kids, a young boy and a young girl, Ned and Joni. They're the reason I go to work. They're the reason that I don't want that plastic continent to grow because it may not be an issue in 10 years' time, but it may be an issue in 20 years' time. We have a crisis with plastic in the oceans and it's for them that I go to work and want to try and help solve it. Welcome to The Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Plastic pollution is one of the most serious environmental issues of our time, accelerated in large part by the consumer shift away from local food suppliers towards supermarkets, where wasteful packaging fills the shelves. But a glimmer of hope lies in a greener grocery alternative that's emerging across the pond. Joining us today is John Hughes, Chief Strategy Officer at The Modern Milkman, a UK-based grocery delivery company that brings locally sourced goods directly to customers without any single-use plastics. From the startup's early days, John sought to invest heavily in data modernization. Hear how his data-driven approach has led to major growth for the company and helped it cultivate better relationships with customers and the planet. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, Hulu, Schneider Electric, Frontify, Hari, and Workato use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. John, welcome to the Data Chief. Thank you. Where are you joining us from today, John? So I'm based in Leeds in England. Um, our company is based in uh, Colm in England, um, a place most of your listeners won't have heard of. But our, we, our main office is in Manchester, and we operate in around about 40% of the UK now. Oh, so now wait a minute. So I was doing all the research on the modern milkman and thinking Manchester, Manchester, Manchester. I didn't realize it was Leeds. I'm not sure you're, you may not know that you're in Leeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. The company is, the company is, is loosely headquartered in Manchester because that's where most of the Northern tech talent is, but it actually originated in Colm, which is, um, it's a really small town, very close to Burnley and about 45 minutes drive from Manchester. So when we were looking for a permanent home to house like 100 or 200 employees, we chose Manchester over Leeds because I didn't want it to appear like I was favoring myself. Oh, well, so you may be unaware, but my husband was actually born in Leeds. So I don't know if you are a football, a.k.a. soccer fan, but I feel like I should do the Leeds, Leeds, Leeds chant right now. So uh, you can do the Leeds, Leeds, Leeds chant. My son is a Leeds, Leeds, Leeds fan. <laughs> I am not. I'm a Middlesbrough fan for the record. My father would never forgive me if I pretended to be a Leeds fan. Um, no, so I, I... Oh, there you go. I appreciate a Leeds, Leeds, Leeds because my little boy loves doing it. He's six years old. Um, but I'm, I'm from the north. I'm from a much smaller town than Leeds. I'm from Middlesbrough, so I'm a much smaller place. Okay, beautiful. Well, so whether we're talking soccer, a.k.a. football, um, actually, that the, the new general manager 
at Leeds is really into big data, and that's how they recruited um, the new coach. So I, I think it's cool. So Leeds is becoming more, yeah, it's becoming a more and more American thing. The 49ers have um, a stake in Leeds. Um, Jesse Marsh is an, Amer- is an American coach, and you've got Brendan Aronson. I think Tyler Adams as well is a is is will be in the USA national team um, for the World Cup. So yeah, Leeds Leeds in America is there's a bit of crossover there. But Brendan Aronson's actually in, um, from New Jersey as well. So yeah, there's a little bit. There you go. Yeah, a little bit of socket <laughs> out for you. So so many great places. Yeah. yeah, that's great, John. So back to the modern milkman. Tell us a little bit about this fascinating company. So we are um, we deliver groceries to people's doorsteps overnight, so that when people wake up in the morning, their things are there for them to use. Um, we started in 2019, so we've been going three years, and um, we've grown really, really quickly. Uh, there, it all started with um, with my co-founders watching uh, David Attenborough's The Blue Planet seeing the plastic um, continents that were being created in the oceans and asking themselves, how has this been allowed to happen? Um, you know, and, and they looked at it and they went, well, it's happened because supermarkets used milk as a loss leader in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and started to, like, started to like, basically get people into supermarkets, um, break the habits of people shopping little and often in their local communities with local greengrocers, local butchers, etc. Bringing it all into one place, and then managing to managing that by changing the packaging. So um, you know, using these plastics, etc., that basically don't don't degrade. So they go out, they get spat out into the ocean, and they stay there. You know, some of them break into microplastics or whatever. And they saw that and they were like, well, why did the milk round stop? So they bought a milk round. They went right. Ra- they bought a milk round in coal. So I keep mentioning coal. Um, no one will have heard it, but I'm sure there'll be a few hits on Wikipedia. Um, it's it's spelt really weirdly as well. So I'm just <laughs> going to spell it out for your listeners. C-O-L-N-E. And then, yeah, so that, they, they bought a milk round in coal, went round, collected. So went round, delivered milk for a week. Um, basically generated a revenue of about £1,000 and went round to collect the cash. They were expecting like £1,000. They ended up collecting 50 quid and basically went, hmm, that won't work. Uh, the, the reason, Not a good business model. Not a great, yeah. not a great business model. He <laughs> said people don't carry cash anymore and also people live more, much more erratic lifestyles. Um, so, you know, they might want go away at weekends or work away, etc. Um, so they needed a flex. If you're going to do anything in this space, you needed to collect the cash up front um, and you needed to be able to change your orders up and down. And then he was like, well, great, we can do that. Like there are the, the tech tools have advanced in the last 30 years that would allow you to do that. So they went off racing away to build an app. On the flip side of that, I just happened to meet them by chance. Um, my career had always been in data. I used to have a Bloomberg terminal, and then when I went to smaller companies, um, I realized that I didn't have a Bloomberg terminal anymore. So I was I, I was like, well, how do I build a Bloomberg terminal? So I started to learn SQL. I started to learn Google Analytics, big data, big query, et cetera, um, in order to create an effective Bloomberg terminal for the company that I was working for. I worked in big companies and couldn't get the data fast enough. I worked in small companies and was able to get the data and create the insights 
but wasn't able to action anything because the management director might not have liked what the data was saying. You know, and sometimes in life you will come across data telling you something that you didn't want to know, um, which I'm sure you've you've experienced in your own in your own career. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a fascinating um, intersection of passions, John. So really the modern milkman, it was not about revolutionizing that distribution or supply chain. It was really about trying to reduce plastic and then you seeing an opportunity of how data and technology can make that better. Is that is that fair to sum up? Yeah. So I, I got to I got to the end of my tether working for other people that weren't interested in their data. Like, and I was like, whatever I do next, I want it to listen to the data. Data first is probably too strong a word, but I want you to be listening and actually thinking about what you want to listen to as well. So, and I met Simon. Simon had already started his milk rounds and he had this horrendous Google sheet that had loads of different colors on, etc. But it was the basis of a database and I said to him, stop what you're doing now. Give that to me. Let me run that side of the business. And the first thing I did is I took his Google Sheets away, took all the color out of them, and basically created a transactional database that said to him, your customers cost this much, and your customers do this over this time period. So effectively got into um, to a cohort model, whereby if you spend this on marketing, your customers will spend this. Very, very early. And and from that point on, I was always like laying down the rails. I see data as like the the railway almost, you know, the railway tracks. Um, Basically, if you keep on laying them, et cetera, then you can keep on moving forward. Yeah. These days, I'm much more of a data collector than anything else because I can rest easy knowing that the data is there and at some point in the future, I can use it. So there's a couple things there. So I'm I'm picturing you uh, going from investment banking and these Bloomberg terminals, some of which I used to help set up, and then the extreme of going to a small business just getting started, not even collecting the revenues that you thought should be collected. Let's go to where are we today? You've gotten multiple rounds of funding. What is the size of the modern milkman today? As I just picture some of our other startup data listeners, give us an idea of the size, whatever you can share. Yeah. So in just over three years, we've gone from those 600 customers in Colm to, uh, I think, around about 170,000 active customers at the minute. And I think we've served by upwards of of 400,000 customers in that time as well. Um, Actually, I'm not sure if that's right. (laughs) Um, And we cover, so we're not just based in the Northwest anymore. We cover the Northwest, the Northeast, Yorkshire, um, Sheffield, the Midlands, um, parts of London, parts of the South Coast, and parts of Swindon and Bristol almost. And Wales, I think I saw. A little bit of Wales. Recently launched in Wales. Yeah. 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 And. so I'll share a few numbers that I've found. Uh, so you tell me if they're wrong, but now about a 20 million ARR and just over 24 million in funding. Is that right? That was the previous lot. So the ARR now is ticking almost uh, 50 million. 50 million ARR. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, and the funding, I would have to, I think the funding will be about 47, 48 million, something like that. So around about, around about the okay. same. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so double. Yeah. Great. So a much bigger, beyond just those startup days of one town. Um, and so what has been, and you started with spreadsheets, what's been the role of data, both collecting it and the insights in helping with this growth? So initially it was just about collecting it. It was making sure it existed. Um, now, I remember, unfortunately, before I joined, Simon commissioned an app. Um, and in that app, um, he got a transactional database. And when I looked at it, I nearly cried. Um, and the main reason was because it looked like a catalog business. So something that you would get off a WordPress shelf where like things were just like there was too much logic wrapped in the database, etc. Um, you couldn't see a forward view of orders. Like it didn't break it down into what it was. So fundamentally, it like the modern milkman is an instructions business. It's not an e-commerce business. It's an instructions business. People are setting instructions on how they would like to receive products. The database didn't reflect that at all. It had no notion of like even like simple product, like, you know, a product might not be available in Manchester that's available in Leeds. It had no way of breaking that down hierarchically. So we had to look at the like look at how products were made. We had to look at how instructions were set, etc. Um, and you know straight away we we raised our seed funding, and I went and spent a good twenty twenty five percent of that seed funding on the database. So I, I I effectively said to investors, give us your money, and what we're going to do is we're going to go and spend it on something that you will not see. You will not see any changes to the web, website. You won't see any benefits to it really. Um, but you've got to kind of trust me, yeah. you know, which is which which is tough. Yes. Like, you know, if you were sitting there like put, investing your money, you'd probably think I was a madman. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. True, true. <laughs> because it's data. But I am picturing your investors. And and again, I'm picturing every other um, software as a service or, you know, startup company, 25%, 25% invested really in your data platform. Uh, yeah. That's a lot. Yes, I know. I know. But the thing is, it was like... But critical. When you, when you break down the business... It's instructions, it's logis it's logistics, it's moving like it's actually it's moving a box from one place to another, you know, independent like and doing it multiple, multiple times. So, you know, some of our vans will do 200, 250 drops a night. You break that down as at a data level, that is at least 200 lines of data. But if they've got three products in there, you need three, you need three other lines for that. You know, and I knew it was right, right? So having seen a lot of databases in my time, having seen a lot of questions being asked in big businesses saying, why can't we do this? It would always be, oh, because we don't collect that. It was, we we had to collect those things. And, you know, like in, in a seed round, but they're trusting you. We had enough commercial traction that I think that the initial seed investors were allowed to buy, were allowed to say, I trust these guys enough. And also it's at a, an earlier early enough stage that if they've got it right, they're going to do really well. And the only problem with, with that 
is that before we finished that database, COVID happened and the business exploded anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it, when, when COVID happens in March 2020, uh, we have a weekly recurring revenue of about £50,000. Um, and a week later, it's £200,000. Um, and we are like really turning the handle on keeping the databases up, keeping the servers up, et cetera. Our cost of acquisition went from, but we were, we were st- even then, like I, I talk about the data being bad. We still knew our cost of acquisition. We knew how much people were spending, et cetera. And we went, our cost of acquisition went from 25 pounds the week before to 26 P in the week, like leading up to the lockdowns. Wow. Um, and we had a choice there. A lot of people were just shutting down. Like the, the big supermarkets stopped offering online. Um, some of our competitors stopped offering online, like offering to new customers. And Simon, Simon raised it. He was like, do we need to stop? I was like, no, no. Let's just spend the, the money that we're saving in acquisition in the operation. Let's pay drivers more to get the work done. You know, let's make sure that we've got enough fans, et cetera, because if we don't let people down here, they won't forget it. Yeah, for sure. Like bearing in mind that the business is what, six, seven months old at that point, we were still, we were in control of our data enough to say, there you go. Like we can, we, we can make this bet. We're, we're not just like, we're not finger licking it essentially. Um, the, de- the database shift actually happens in June, 2020. Um, so in June 2020, we released the new database and then we're able to basically put our growth plans and our business plans in parallel. So we start, we're able to then market more intelligently to, um, to our customers and to our, and basically plot out, um, bigger routes, et cetera, understand the density of the, of the, of those routes, because the database makes a lot more sense. And we can also start to predict in the operation what the operation is going to need in one week, in two weeks, in three weeks. And therefore, we can plan and we won't fail as quickly. So by June 2020, we kind of decided that this wasn't just going to be a lifestyle business for us. We were actually going to make a big go of it. So we'd started to raise a series. Uh, we'd started to, um, started to plan for a series A. We were having discussions. Um, and our, our cohort started to degrade. So, uh, uh, like potential series A investors were looking on it going, I think you just had a benefit from lockdown. I obviously was going, no, we, well, we may have had a benefit from lockdown. I'm not debating that, but we now got the rails, right? But well, we now got everything on track. This all lines up, etc. Um, and so in, um, you know, we can market at these levels, we can pump these channels and we can grow customers like this and, anticipate the operational gaps that may appear and in june so uh, we we got a lot of people pushing back saying the business was too simple or whatever and they know they kind of misunderstood it they 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 misunderstood what what we were we we are very much a data business you know we are a technology enabled data business yeah and, and we try and push that back to our customers as well in the way that we interact with a lot of our third-party platforms these days. But we've always wanted to be that as well. You know, we can t- we've taken what is a relatively simple concept and turned it into like turned it into a product fit for the modern day. Yeah. You know, I would I would hope, dearly hope, that if you went into a retailer and looked at their analytics staff, it was light years behind ours. Right. Now that, you know that that would be my hope. It certainly was when I was in, when I was in a retailer eight years ago. 
their strike was nowhere near and I don't think they could have turned it round in, t- in the eight years since I've, since I've left. So um, that was definitely the case then. So there's a couple things there that I just want to unpack. Um, one, for our global listeners, you say the customer acquisition cost went to 26p. The exchange rate now, <laughs> that's maybe worth 27 cents in, in dollars. Uh, the exchange rate has not been great for you, but that is a really um, wonderful uh, CAC. But then also, I think um, a couple things that are unique about your business model, if somebody is comparing you to, say, a DoorDash, who we recently had on the Data Chief, or in Europe, maybe a Just Eat, is um, that you are more than just milk, so it could be fresh orange-juiced eggs, but it's also the link directly back to the suppliers. So you're not just a retail delivery. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair to say. Yeah, so we work. We, we try and work with local suppliers in lo- in our local areas, and we try and um, educate them on their data. Like, so some of them come from farming backgrounds, and that education takes it does take time. But we do like to give them an understanding of what happens. One of the good things about that is they keep you honest, so they 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 want to keep the data simple. You know, so it's just it is effectively like units over a time period is all that they need you know if i told them that it was a machine learning algorithm that predicted the number that they saw they'd probably be terrified um you know as it it is i just say that's you know that that's just the number so so you've got to understand your audience when you're talking about data i think yeah and your audience is on both sides so it's the suppliers providing you with the fresh orange juice the milk the eggs and then it's your consumers um, who hopefully are repeat consumers and well beyond the pandemic. So maybe take us through, as you are also a Modern Milkman customer, um, how does data inform what did you order this week and how does it improve that customer experience from, from you back to your suppliers? Perhaps the thing that I'm proudest of isn't anything to do with the commercial journey. It's much more about communicating the impact that the customer has. So we spent a lot of time trying to work out how much plastic customers had saved. Um, And so I'd love to be able to tell customers every time that they got an email or a message from us, just how much plastic they've saved. And it wasn't until we got into, we we started to use Braze that that actually became feasible. So we we created the data for it. So what is Braze? Tell us what Braze is. We use Braze as our main communications platform with our customer. So we use it for sending emails, push messages, in-app messages, um, and before too long, content cards as well. And what that allows us to do is to talk to our customers in really um, individualized ways. So we can use the data points that are inherent within that customer. Um, so we'd always kept a log of just how many, how many plastic bottles, sorry, how many plastic bottles each customer had saved, and we'd always published on the website that this is how much milk, how many plastic bottles we saved from landfill, and at currently we're at fifty-five million. Um, it'll probably be fifty-six million in the next week or so. Um, there's a big push to get to one hundred, obviously. Um, you know, but it's it's a fair way away for the time being. Um, but we were like, let's uh, you know, let's individualize that as well. Let's tell them how much they've saved. So um, 
having that data in our stack, we were able to push it into Braze and then be able to communicate it with cust- to customers every time we felt necessary. I wouldn't say with every order because that would be overkill. It's like, yeah, I've got it's gone up by what? Yeah. yeah, I don't want to be telling them if they just had one pint of milk. So what we what we are starting to do is to break that up and tell them at fifty, tell them when they've saved fifty, tell them when they've saved a hundred, and then what we've also done is use that as um, like a, an acquisition lever. So if you're in if you're in Manchester as a prospect, we will tell you that we've saved three point seven million. Uh, bottles in Manchester and start to localize that message so you can see the impact that you have. And before too long, what we want to be able to do is is create an asset on our like kind of like a league table for the UK and hopefully a league table for the world. So this is how much America the United States of America has saved with the modern milkman, for instance. Yeah. What I love about this, John, is so you and I have been in the industry for a long time. And we think about the desire to link the insight to the action. And you're actually giving your customers data that um, encourages more action. So they could make the decision, oh, I'll just stop by the grocery store and I'm not helping uh, reduce plastic consumption. You embedding this in your customer emails or in the mobile app actually encourages the desired behavior to really just get your your milk or your products through you. So I think it it just closes that loop in a really beautiful way. I hope so. I, I like to think so anyway. And yet, if you think about your role in the industry, so sometimes you've experienced that in the past where you present the numbers and people don't act on that data how is the technology or the model different now? I feel like that there's just a bit more data literacy in, in our firm. So, um, and that might that might be cultural. That might just be good fortune from having like data literate people in at the start and having people that are willing to listen to other people as well. Because that's not always the case, is it? You know, you may you sometimes get despotic leaders that only want to do what they think, and you know they use data. Um, kind of like they use it arbitrarily. So it's like where it suits their point, they'll use it. And where where it doesn't suit their point, they'll create um, like a, a use case for it. We've no doubt seen that countless times. It's like, oh, oh, well, um, these two are just outliers, so I'm going to ignore everything, <laughs> that, that type of behavior. And I think that the technology now um, allows for a greater level of da- data literacy, and your own tool as well offers a greater deal of, um, auton- of autonomy. So, you know, we are allowing people to self-serve data and be able to go and ask a question without bothering three analysts or whatever. You know, you you just go into your ThoughtSpot dashboard, you type in number of drops in Manchester, and before too long, you're at, you're at the crux of the problem, shall we say? Yeah. So there's a couple points that you raised there is data literacy as both a work skill and a life skill, I think is important. But we also recently had Tim Harford, the um, BBC podcaster, economist on in the UK, you call the book How to Make the World Add Up. In the US, we call it the data detective. And he does talk about this phenomenon, how we only look for data, at least as a first pass, that confirms the opinion 
we already have. So ignoring those outliers, if it doesn't make us look good, we're going to dismiss that. And maybe in the past, the technology didn't allow people to ask the next question. So you working in a startup, and you made the comment that you'd be skeptical if the retailer you were at before could have modernized as quickly as you've been able to at the Modern Milkman. Tell us a little bit about your modern data stack and some of the decisions why you landed on the technology that you have invested in. Okay, so to do that, I'd have to go back to 2019. So 2019, uh, we've got no money, uh, we've got a database, and we I've got a key skill. My key skill was um, not just spreadsheets, um, Google Sheets in particular, and Google Apps Scripts, which is the is kind of like the old Visual Basic for applications that existed in Excel, uh, but it was for Google. Um, it plugged into a lot of Google APIs, so I could, and and also it had if you could if you could manage it enough, you could start to make um, other API calls as well. So I could like load things into Mailchimp, etc. I built way too much dependency on app scripts, and I was doing a lot of data transformation because Google App Scripts had this scheduling tool that I didn't have access to, and I was able to take the really rubbish data that we had in our transactional database and turn it into something more meaningful through a series of transformations that ran on schedules um, and could communicate with me via um, firing me emails if something broke. Right. It's very basic, but we, you know, you had no money. That's how you get around it. Yeah. Um, we raised series A and um, we, we went, to, the first thing that I did is I took some money and I spent it on Snowflake um, you know, like Snowflake is the daddy. Um, it's the daddy when it comes to data warehousing, I think, <laughs> you know. Um, or, or they would say they bristle at the word data warehousing now. Yeah. So they would just say the data cloud. Yeah. But was that because you were seeing the momentum in the marketplace or is it s- skills availability or particular features why you invested in Snowflake? So I went to some people that had run big, big um, BI platform, BI teams, and I said, how did you do it? What did you pick? And if you had your time again, what would you do now? Okay. Um, and they said, we, we pick this, we pick that or whatever. Um, but if we had my time again, I'd pick Snowflake. Okay. <laughs> and I asked like four or five different people across different business verticals. And it like they're pretty much so yeah. I created my own data set effectively, and a hundred percent of it said if I had my time again, I'd pick Snowflake. That was fine. Um, then for like for analysis, um, we had existing talent that was that had used Tableau before, so that kind of became quite a simple decision. Um, so we we went with what we had at the time because it meant it meant we wouldn't necessarily have to hire more people. We could use the people that we already had. Um, and there's always like in a startup like ours, one of the biggest execution risks is is your hiring. Yes. Yeah. It's always like you've got you've, you've got you've got to get key hires right. And on top of that, um, we added in another tool, which was Retool. Um, now, Retool is a low code platform, um, but what essentially we were using it to basically help us with extra data. So a lot of our data was sitting outside of the environment. So we we were able to quickly build apps in Retool 
to push more data into the into our model effectively. So that might be supply side data, that might be marketing data, etc. And we use we used it like that. Okay, so kind of capturing, yeah, yeah. Where we've got to now is um, we are we've moved over to ThoughtSpot recently, and one of the reasons for that is because we want data to permeate all parts of the business. And we found that the the query structure of, of ThoughtSpot and the the way that it's set up behind the scenes would help us to do that essentially. And we also so we, we also have a I should mention my our ELT tool as well. So the thing that loads stuff into Snowflake as well is a tool called Clean. And basically that does a lot of behind the scenes busyness. Um, they're based in the UK in London. Um, great set of guys that have ran big BI firms before and essentially set up a business to solve their own problem. Okay, so so you're willing to invest in startups um, as well. It sounds like with with clean and I mean ThoughtSpot is larger now, but yeah, yeah. I, I, and that, that's an interesting fact. But like, if you accept that, like, no product is going to be perfect anyway. You want people that are, are still working on their product, yeah. yeah. So that you want people that are open to feedback, you know. So when, like, when we st first started with Clean, we would say, "Oh, I need this connector or whatever," and effectively, we were laying down their product roadmap for them, so that when, like, in a year's time, they have customers that have a similar problem, they've already built it. You know, with Retool, we we help them with their like as they were developing mobile use cases. We were like, "Well, we'd use it for this. We'd use it for this." Um, why don't you try this, et cetera? And they, because they're in that journey, they're not as established, then they help, you know, they're willing to listen to you and they develop products that fit your purpose. And you don't get that if you, you know, you look at the big ERP, ERP plays or whatever, you just, they're kind of, they're so big now that they, it takes ages for them to move. Yeah, you know, for sure. So yeah, a hundred percent, there is an advantage. Uh, the thing is that advantage for us is very relevant you know we're only three years old but we will lose that advantage but i don't i don't tend to sit to sit and rest on my laurels i try and keep like a vendor review cycle all the time so as as contracts are coming up i'm saying well okay there's a lot of legacy a lot of legacy work within like that within our dashboarding platform or within our elt tool but is it still the right tool is somebody else not doing that more and you know not everyone can do that. It's like, oh, they, that's been in for 10 years. The, the guys that did it like left three years ago. Let's just not touch it and not worry about it. I hope that we can document processes well enough and understand and understand the inertia that you can create in not in a modern stack, but in a more dated stack and basically alleviate the inertia so that you always have the best tools. You know, there are some great tools that I think, did you go to Big Data London like the other week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was there in September. Crazy. 170 vendors. Yeah. 170. Our space is so vibrant. And that's the thing that they're, they're, they're going to keep on, they're going to keep on changing things. You know, that you look at Snowflake, the new, uh, the, so the new um, browser in Snowflake is fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's got all of those, it's got all of those things, but they have to keep doing that because otherwise, you know, someone else is going to come rip off like a lot of the clustering technology that exists within Snowflake and build a better UI. And that will get, you know, that will win traction. Yeah. So there's always this, there's always this benefit to being a startup in that you get to invest in the most current tools. 
Yeah, I think that's the benefit of being a startup. I also think that is where um, the concept of subscription-based licensing and even consumption-based licensing, if you're not happy, you just don't renew, which is a far cry from, let's say, some of the legacy on-premises applications where you would sign a three-year deal and pay for it up front and hope that it met your needs. Um, and so we had a lot of, of shelfware. But some might say that's also risky. <laughs> it's harder to manage the costs. Have you found that? Or how do you, how do you manage your cloud costs proactively? Um, yeah, we've, we've had one or two instances. But um, in the main, you know, it's going to come down to can you justify the ret- are you getting a return on your investment yeah absolutely so i remember when we when we started our snowflake th- thing we signed like we signed a, a deal uh, like x thousand credits a, a year and within about six months we were doing four or five times that okay that's the cfo's worst nightmare <laughs> it is it is but it, i i said to him that you know we're an ambitious data company. Like, do you not, like, I can turn everything off, but what do you want us to do? Like, do you not believe in this? Or, or like, um, but it, it, he was like, no, we just got to, We all, all he cares about is understanding as much as possible. Um, and we have, we have changed some of the ways that we operate with Snowflake. So we're less ambitious with some of our transforms, et cetera, just to, just to bring that cost under control rather than set, rather than be like, 5x in it every six months because that'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Or predictability. I think it's the visibility and predictability. Exactly. um, And making that decision. Was that analytics or that insight or that transform worth it? Then okay. If it was an accident, then how do we prevent that? Um, So I think that's all good. Well, John, you've been waxing poetic about the benefits of startup life and being able to build your own modern data stack from the ground up. But if you can think back and picture some of your former colleagues, whether from retail or investment banking, listening to this, what would you advise them in terms of modernizing? Or what do you also miss about that world of a larger company and that technology? I would, uh, my advice would be be more ambitious. Like don't, don't accept there being no data as the final answer. Like basically see that as a challenge. So why is there no data? How can that be solved? You know, so that would be the, that would be the first. So capturing. Yeah. Yeah. Just go honestly. Thinking back to the data capture to the whole, what are you trying to analyze? Yeah. So many of my processes at the start of this were me going into a spreadsheet, writing a number down just so that it would be there. Yeah. So, and a lot of the Google app script stuff that I did was literally doing like was the automation of that. It's like, right, every 20 minutes, go and do this and write that number in this spreadsheet so that someone else in the business can access it. You know, and, and that was that that was it because I was I was obsessed with that. That is one of the ways that we discovered leaflets was going to be a really good marketing channel for us, um, because at the time that we did it, we didn't have any tracking on it. You know, we hadn't planned it. It had kind of mm. come out of COVID and we went, right, let's try it. Let's try and um, do leaflets. So we did it and we're like, well, we've got, where, where where are these people sending the leaflets? So we pulled it all back into a spreadsheet and went, oh, okay, this, 
looks quite interesting. Can we just get it to check every 20 minutes? Can you and, and then give that job to somebody saying, go into that spreadsheet, um, tell me what the number is. Um, and and basically it went, this is gonna work. You know, but from that we built a much more robust process. So we built a lot of processes just like that, essentially. And like it would just be someone's job to go into the spreadsheet and look at the data that had been collected and just communicate it back out to a decision maker. So don't take not having the data as the final answer. You know, look at other solutions, even if it's just yourself going in and writing it down on a piece of paper to begin with. You know, like there is no way that a company the the size of like some of the big UK retailers can accept that as fact, you know. And then what do I miss about it? Um, Not a lot, not a great deal, um, (laughs) to be honest. I I always found it quite hard, possibly because, because of my role. So because I was able to get to an answer, and that answer wouldn't necessarily be na- would wouldn't necessarily be acted on. I found that quite frustrating. Um, I'm sure you have at times as well, where you've got the right answer. You know, like I'd like to think so, um, but yeah, I found that really frustrating. That because a strategy or a course had been set, that your answer wouldn't matter. I remember uncovering a massive, massive sales sales um, potential sales opportunity in in a big car company and I was like you do realize that this like this is massive and they didn't care I was like why don't you care <laughs> you know what is what is wrong with you that you don't yeah. care but it wasn't their responsibility <laughs> it was like it wasn't their responsibility like the like the upside of plugging that gap would have gone to somebody else so they didn't feel like they were you know they weren't bought into that process, so it's understanding how how you can how you can interact with that all the time. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the the culture, the incentives, the empowerment. All of these things play into why didn't they act on that number, which um, is a much harder challenge than the technology. The technology is a little more fun, a little more controllable. Let's say. The technology these days is absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's only taken us 30 years to get here. Well, John, you've you've shared so much about your story at The Modern Milkman, your expertise. Let's go to some lightning rounds. Well, looking at the picture behind you, I feel like I should ask, um, favorite music or what pumps you up at night? So my favorite band would be Interpol. Um, definitely. And, okay. uh, turn on the bright lights is my favorite album as well. There you go. Um, I, the guy in the background is, uh, Ian Curtis from joy division. Um, but I never got to see him live. I've seen Interpol live about seven or eight times now. So yeah. New York band for you. Okay. But great. I like my American bands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good. Um, and what about in the data and tech space? Are there particular mentors or podcasts, books, articles that help you keep up with our fast-paced industry um the so you've mentioned them already but i read the doordash engineering blog almost like it's going to church <laughs> so every time that comes out i'm i'm always reading that um you know i think that they are leading the data space um in my opinion so i like to listen to that um i take 
I take in webinars wherever I can, you know, YouTube. Um, but mainly, mainly I spend a lot of my time, uh, my, not my spare time, my work time. This is um, reading API docs of new tooling as well. So I will spend, I, I've spent, I, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent in the Braze API docs. Um, but I absolutely love them. And well-written API docs are just a godsend as well. So that's a message to any startup out there thinking how they can differentiate, oh. you know, put video into your API docs, et cetera. So I don't have to go and find someone on YouTube that has, that has done it before. Yeah, that's so fascinating that you call that out because we had some um, customers after pay in Australia who complimented the ThoughtSpot documentation team. And I was like, wow, in all my years in the space, nobody has has called out documentation. And yet you're going a level deeper, the API documentation. Well, the thought the ThoughtSpot one's great because they've even got videos in there. So they've already, you know, you guys have nailed it there um, from an implementation perspective. We're just getting started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> With the API documentation, yeah. You guys have absolutely nailed it. In terms, like people don't necessarily learn by reading stage one, two, three, four, five. They like to see a video of, of a problem being solved, I think. Um, that's a great, you know, and, and YouTube, yeah. you know, the courses that are on YouTube now, like you can learn a programming language in about three months on YouTube, you know, and be and be fairly proficient in it as well. So, you know, you guys have, have obviously seen that and, and got a lot of that in there as well. Yeah, I know documentation teams around the world are going to feel super inspired that you recognize um, their efforts, regardless of what industry they work in. So as you think about your role in the modern milkman and your journey in this data industry, what do you want your legacy to be either on the modern milkman or on the industry? I want the plastic continent that is five times the size of France in in the Atlantic Ocean to remain five times the size of France and not grow at all. That's what I want my legacy to be. I love that. That is so inspiring. I don't know if I can actually pack one more <laughs> inspirational question in there, but I like to always end with either um, what are you most grateful for today or what's made you totally laugh out loud recently? Um, well, it's the same uh, same answer as my kids. They're, you know, I'm most grateful. I have two, two children, a young boy and a young girl, Ned and Joni, um, and they crack me up every day. And they're the reason I go to work. They're the reason that I don't want that plastic continent to grow, you know, because it may not be an issue in 10 years time, but it may be an issue in 20 years time. You know, we have a, we have a crisis with plastic in, in the oceans and it's for them that I go to work, you know, because I want I want to try and help solve it. Yeah. John, thank you for being on the Data Chief, but more importantly for the work that you and Simon that your company does to use data to actually make our planet a better, less plastic-filled place. Thank you. And I know that means something to you as well with uh, you have a daughter as a marine biologist. Is that right? I do. You have an amazing memory, John. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She cares a lot about this stuff. Um, there's, (laughs) There's minimal plastic in our house. Good stuff. It's really hard to live plastic free though, because as a company, we try and do it, um, it two months of the year. So we try and do it in February and we try and do it in November, um, you know, and even things like brushing your teeth are really difficult. Um, but we all share videos of just how hard it is to live that. 
And I think um, our, so when Insight Partners came in to join us, one of their managing directors had tried, had tried to live plastic free as well. And he realized how hard it was. And that was one of the reasons why like, he became interested in what we were trying to do. So Yeah, it's great to work with a purpose-driven business. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.